my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. This episode is sponsored by Project Entrepreneur, a program by UBS that accelerates the growth of female-founded companies by increasing their investment readiness and connecting them to the resources and networks they need to build and grow their businesses. Since its launch in 2015, Project Entrepreneur has supported more than 1,800 female founders who've gone on to raise nearly $55 million in funding. Sam, I can't wait to share this conversation we had with Soledad O'Brien. I've idolized Soledad truly since I was 21 years old. So no one probably has followed Soledad's career since she was that young, <laughs> but I have. And without further ado, here is broadcast journalist Soledad O'Brien. Thanks so much for joining us today, Soledad. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. How did you get your first job in journalism? My first, my very first job in journalism was working for a show called Centro, which was like the Spanish language show at WBZ TV. And I just called up and asked them if they wanted an intern. 
Uh, and I think I literally just dialed and whoever answered the phone, I said, I'm interested in being an intern. And back then, obviously, it was not super hard to get internships, and they took me right away. And I started working in the TV station. But you were pre-med at Harvard. You went from following in your sister's footsteps, being pre-med, doing all these internships in medicine, and then suddenly realizing, this is not for me. Yeah, we were taking organic chemistry together over the summer. She was a couple of years ahead of me, and she's a surgeon now. <laughs> and... Uh, and as we were taking this class together, and we're very different. My sister was like, would sleep into the last second and then run for, you know, carrying breakfast would run for class. And I would be like up early with organized pens and notebooks and sit in the front. She's like, why do you, why can't you just, you memorize all these things? You know, you should be able to deduce these formulas. Like you should understand the formulas. She also like wanted to understand the workings of the thing where I was much more interested in how do you make people feel better? And, you know, really a little bit more of the narrative, I think. I realized, like, I really don't want to do this. I think I wanted, I'm not particularly passionate about it. And so I did, I left school and I started working uh, over the summer um, at Harvard. Uh, I was able to, um, what do they call it? Where you, you help like proctor the summer school. So I was a proctor for the summer school, which meant just living in the building with summer school students. So that gave me housing. And then I could work on my internship at WBZ, which was right across the Harvard playing fields. And there was one woman who was very influential in your career at that point, Jean. Yeah, Jean Blake. Yeah, she was a, a reporter at WBZ. She was a medical reporter, uh, brilliant, hardworking. And, you know, most importantly, I think just very, um, she was just very stuck on accuracy and this idea of like, you can demand excellence. And I was really lucky, I think, to start off with someone who was not particularly lackadaisical about nailing it. And it was a really good way, I think, to learn because that really became my, my college experience, really learning in an apprenticeship kind of way how to do it. And I think because she was just so dedicated to accuracy and high quality, just having someone who was obsessed with like, and she was super duper obsessed with it. Um, I think having that as a role model was very helpful. I went from there to work at NBC. I, I worked with her. She was a medical reporter as her production assistant. And then I went to NBC News to, uh, as an associate producer for Bob Bazell, who was a medical reporter. You made a big decision to move from NBC to CNN. Yeah, and I remember, you know, it was, I had a lot of friends at NBC. And, and I remember people, I was surprised how many people would say, you know, why would you want to leave this platform? But to me, CNN was like college. I mean, going from doing three hours of TV a week to doing, um, you know, I think we were doing four hours a day, five days, 20 hours a week. You know, it was amazing. I learned so much. It was exhausting, but it was really pretty amazing. And when you were at CNN, you still hadn't finished college. You just mentioned college. So I figured we would talk about that now. So, so you made a decision to not graduate, which I think, you know, to, to, to stay at WBZ because you felt like you had such a huge career opportunity. That sounds so thoughtful, but that's not how it went at all. Like the way you describe it sounds like a really well, thoughtful, intelligent decision. Uh, no, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I liked working in TV news. And then I was moving ahead pretty well. What I didn't want to do was to go finish college and not have a clue what I wanted to do. So as soon as I hit doing journalism, I realized like, oh, actually, I'm interested in this. And the way to keep going was to just keep working. I figured at some point I'd be able to go back to school. And that opportunity came up when I started anchoring 
uh, the weekend today show because I had the bulk of the week free. The woman who was my executive producer was a good friend. And so we talked all the time and I was very you know, kind of kept up to speed with the show while also finishing my degree. Were you pregnant then? I was, and it was so, I remember thinking I would give someone $20 to go lie in their bed. I ate red jelly beans all the time. You know how you go through these phases of like, now it's cozy shack rice pudding. No, no, no cozy shack rice pudding. And I mean, I, I went to Harvard also, because you, you said you were in Strauss, I was in Stoughton, but I can't imagine, like there were no older students in the class. It, it's not a college that lends itself to that. There always are. They kind of sit in the back. They don't really talk to anybody because they're not living uh, on campus. Did anyone talk to you? Uh, you know, sure they did. Um, I just, I had, my friends were more the professors and the TAs actually. I mean, I was older than all of my TAs and I was busy. I literally was packing stuff in so that I could get it all done. I had one semester basically of work to get done. One thing that you said, which is, is really strikes me is that you said, I had an opportunity. I was hosting the weekend today show and I was pregnant. So I had these three days a week free. I mean, most moms who are pregnant are exhausted and they're trying to reduce the outside work. And so you were suddenly not only traveling, but finishing college degree and had a full-time job and were pregnant. But but I think most moms also know the minute that baby comes out, yeah. you baby in versus baby out is a world of difference. I also, it was my first child, so I didn't have any idea how tired you would be. And I didn't know how nauseous I was. I was like, literally walking down the street, you throw up and then you just keep going. You never stopped working. Oh my God. I was so happy to go back to work when I was pregnant. Oh my God. Like it was amazing. I remember just thinking like, I just want to be around grownups who just tell you what, like, what do you need? Just, just say it, you know, versus a baby where you're like, I don't understand. What do you want? Uh, I, so I, I really enjoyed, and I liked working. I liked feeling like I'd accomplished something. I liked, that was a measure for me of kind of how I was doing. That was important to me. I think people who are able to stay home with their kids, I think that's incredibly difficult. And I just, it was nothing I ever wanted to do. I like being home for, for phases when I would be down from traveling for a month or uh, I was on bed rest with the twins. And so there are parts of things that I really did like in, in short chunks, but no, I had never wanted to stay home. What is your take on women and money and the relationship between women and money? I think that I've seen up close in a lot of ways that you have to be able to handle and run your money and it gives you a lot of leverage. Sometimes people say to me, you know, you're able to say what you want to say on Twitter. You're able to run this company and do this and that. I'm like, yes, because I have the financial wherewithal to do it. I do. Right. I just, and, and some of that is from my past jobs. I was a pretty good saver and I invested well, but, but, you know, I think the only way to really have true freedom is to make sure that you have a handle on your money and really your money, because, Things can go crazy with your spouse. Things can go downhill fast. Something tragic can happen. So you really have to have a handle on your money. I remember reading an article, and I mean, this was ages ago, that you had an experience with a nanny where you found out they were hitting your child. She was, and it was such a crazy story. So I was getting some work done in my apartment. Oh, and I had bodyguards because I had a stalker. And... Um, so one of the guys who was working, one of the workers in the apartment told the guy who was my bodyguard, because I think he didn't want to tell me himself, but he told my bodyguard, the babysitter's hitting the baby. Um, but yes, obviously, uh, we ended up wiring our entire house with cameras because we, you know, my best friend liked to say that we were accidentally going to make a, a porno because we had so many cameras in our house. 
which I thought was kind of funny. Didn't happen, but I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and uh, and of course we um, we uh, put an end to her. We fired her pretty much on the spot. But the interesting lesson from that, which my older sister, I was so lucky to have older sisters. You know, my older sister said, you really have to give people permission to tell you. Because when I said to people, yeah, we had to let the so-and-so go, I remember they said to me, you know, I always thought she was so rough with the baby. I always thought she was, you know, and you're like, well, why the hell didn't you tell me? And and my sister, who has seven kids, said to me, yeah, I know, works full time, says to me, um, you know, you really, as you go into spaces and this is really for littler kids right once they get to a certain age and they can talk and and you know then it's less of a problem uh but she said you know you have to tell people i would you know please let me know if you notice something and uh and it's really true i i have from that point on i was much better about telling people like hey i'm trying out this new nanny and, and let me know and i've told moms you know listen i think your i think your sitter is really rough with your kid and maybe you're totally fine with that but i personally wouldn't be i'm just letting you know in your book, you share the story of one of your sons who you found out was experiencing hearing loss. What was that experience like for you? It was amazing. It was such a great experience to know what his diagnosis was. Mm-hmm. Greatest thing ever. I, you know, and I have to say, my husband is such a great partner. He's so helpful. And I think you go through these things and you kind of see how the other person reacts. And we're pretty good to get, like when one of us is freaking out, the other one is not, which has been a pretty good model. And he has a very good sense of humor for stuff. And I just remember um, we had Jackson tested and then the doctor said, well, I got some information you need to come in. And at the time I was traveling a ton. I was like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't come in and Brad can't come in and we can't come in together for like three weeks. And I was just (laughs) like, you just tell me. And when they told me, you know, listen, he's got severe hearing loss. And I was like, oh, well, it explains a lot of these behavioral things that we were seeing that we just couldn't understand. So for me, it was just a huge sigh of relief to feel like, okay, now we're starting with something. Now, now we can actually start fixing a problem because we kind of have our hands around it. And, and since that moment, we've been so lucky. We have great experts around us, um, really, really good people to give us advice, great aides. Uh, the only time I had a horrible experience was with the Department of Education, which was a miserable, well, you have to get all your services through them in New York. That was miserable. Um, but for the most part, like really, really good professionals who were very helpful to try to figure out how to make this kid have a good experience in school and in life. And now for a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. 
My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. How do you go back and forth between work and parenting? I don't think it's back and forth. I think you're in the middle of it, right? You're literally on the phone negotiating while you're also like, oh, whoa, come back here. You can't wear that. No, no. You know, the other day I was doing a Zoom call and I put my screen, uh, I turned my my camera off, did my nose swab for my COVID test, put the camera back on. It only takes 10 seconds. You know, so, and I think of parenting like that, right? Like there's no, so now I'm going to be a parent. Okay, now I'm back at work. Once you're okay with chaos, then I think it's okay because you, as opposed to believing that it's going to be this perfectly seamless, you know, parallel lives that everybody's going to support. One key to your success seems to be your marriage. It sounds like, you know, you married someone who also has a very high power career. How have you handled the division of labor at home? You know, I think we've been pretty good at just doing what we each are fine doing. I mean, Brad likes to do the garbage. Like he really likes to go to the dump. It's so weird. But you know, I think it's more like, really, I there are things that I like to do. And, and I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at being okay with the things I don't want to do. I don't like to cook. The person who just walked in, my daughter, Sophia, is a phenomenal cook. I, we would not have gotten through the pandemic without Sophia cooking. She's an amazing cook, right? But I'm here to support that. I will clean, I will organize, <laughs> I'll do whatever you want, but I don't like to cook. Um, and I think, you know, Brad's the same way. There's certain things he doesn't like to do. And what we try to do is figure out how to how to divide the labor in a way that everybody's kind of happy. I'll tell you a great story that was a, that's very, two good stories that are very typical of Brad. One was when Sophia was little, probably in pre-K, she must have been in the, the fours or something. She had a friend named Samantha. And she would say, Samantha's mom cuts the crusts off her sandwich. Samantha's mom does this. Samantha's mom does that. <laughs> Samantha's mom walks her to school every single day. And I said to Brad, like, oh, Samantha's mom does this. Samantha's mom. And Samantha's mom, by the way, is a lovely woman. And Brad's like, 
yeah, we got to get Samantha's mom a job. We got to end this. <laughs> and I just remember feeling so badly. And he just made me laugh. Like it was such a funny, obviously silly thing to say. And um, it was just very helpful. Like in that moment, this idea of, you know, hey, Samantha's mom. It's like, we're not Samantha's mom. And that's cool. Right. And you know what? It's so much better than if he had said, you're a great mom. You're doing your best. Like it's so much better how he handled it. I love that. Yeah. The other thing, he was at some kind of a dinner and um, a closing dinner and around the table, all these guys. And one of the guys at the dinner was maybe 80 years old. And I remember he said, um, so Brad lets you work, <gasps> right? <laughs> I was like, and Brad jumps in and says, well, you know, she does a morning show. So there's this whole afternoon of hours that we're trying to find her something like at the 7-Eleven or something she could do. It was just like it. And he has this very good habit of like undercutting something that I'm about to be very offended and it just makes you crack up and you realize it's stupid. And so that's happened a couple of times. And I think it's really that like his attitude around like, we're going to solve it. We're going to figure it out. What was your parents' relationship like? My parents really, really loved each other. They passed away within 40 days of each other about a year and a half ago. So sorry. They were, yeah, thank you. They were, um, you know, I think they both really loved each other. My mom used to say all the time, you know, I love your father most of all, and then I love the rest of you equally. That was very much their structure. Like we're a team and we make decisions together. And then, you know, everything radiates out from that. And that was helpful because it was in a family where we didn't really have a lot of um, relatives. I didn't have any cousins or aunts and uncles who lived particularly close by. Um, and so, you know, I think having a very tight unit, especially, you know, we were a, a diverse family in a community that was not diverse at all. And so it was nice to have like a very big, tight unit that was kind of impenetrable. Your parents got married in a time when interracial marriages were not allowed in Maryland. So they went to DC. How did that impact your childhood? You know, I think the great part of it was for most of my childhood, I didn't have a clue. I was so, I grew up in, I was born in 66. I kind of grew up through high school in the eighties. It never really occurred to me. It was, you know, we were a family that didn't really, we stuck out in a lot of ways. My dad's white, my mom was black, you know, we were mixed race kids. Um, so that was unusual in my community. And even just being diverse at all was unusual. It was 99.999996% white. Um, but I, I think that what they were, I think that they uh, did a really good job of picking a place to live where we would go to good schools. And I think we would have to figure out how to deal with a lack of diversity. Some of my siblings and I kind of think handled it kind of in different ways. Some people were better at it. Some people struggled, I think, a little bit more with it. I was younger. And I think when you're younger, you know, I think my brother and I kind of just floated, floated along on the reputations of our older siblings. Um, but, you know, I, I think for me, when you are an insider and an outsider, there's a lot of value in that. And I think it was helpful in my reporting to, to understand a lot of different communities, and be able to navigate a bunch of different spaces. I mean, my mom is Cuban, so we spent a lot of time in New Jersey, in Union City, New Jersey, which is kind of a little Cuban enclave there uh, when my grandmother finally came over uh, from Cuba. And so I think I had a lot of information about Cubans and Cuban Americans and African Americans and people who were foreigners and people who spoke two languages or three languages. And, you know, and, and, and I think it was helpful in my reporting. I never thought it was a a negative thing. I was just going to ask in terms of reporting. So Jeff Zucker arrives at CNN and 
eventually you're kind of pushed out. Is that what happened? It was happened pretty fast. Um, you know, I think he, we had worked together at NBC and, you know, he made it clear he didn't want me to anchor. He didn't see that for me. They asked me to stay on. Um, but, you know, I, I really, I think I've made some very good decisions in my life. And, and the ones that I pass on to students often are around not working in places where people don't see a future for you. You know, you really need bosses who believe in you and people who believe in you. And the minute you get a sense, and then this happened to me well before CNN when I worked at KRON TV and I had bosses who I think didn't really see a vision for me that I saw potentially for me. And I will say, you know, I'm not a big Jeff Zucker fan. Obviously, I criticize him a lot in CNN. But what I think he did really well was he was very clear. Often what they do in these kinds of jobs is everybody tells you, oh, my God, we love you. We see a big future for you here. And six months later, you revisit it. You know, I'm really stuck. I feel like you guys aren't giving me opportunities. What's going on? No, no, my God, we love you. We definitely, you know, and they string you along. 18 months later, you're like, I think nobody really wants me to, you know, and you lose all this time. I will say he was very straightforward. This is what he sees. It did not match what I saw. And so I left and um, I didn't want to stay on in a capacity where I felt like if you don't see a future for me here in a way that I do, like, why would you want to stay and do that? So I ended up starting my own company. It's been now like eight or eight years approximately. And, and I'm, really glad I don't do cable news. My husband likes to say, if you worked at CNN, you'd have to quit. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think often uh, there are things that I like. There's a lot that's a mess. And so I, uh, I think it's, I don't really love that style of how they're covering the news. And I think I would just be miserable and they would be miserable with me if I had stayed. You mentioned that you do criticize CNN now and you, you are outspoken on the internet, on Twitter with your opinions. And you said that you are in a position where you have the freedom to speak without upsetting a boss or a corporation. Is there anyone who does intimidate you? Not really. I mean, I, I try to I try to speak truthfully about things. I really just hate, you know, um, I think Megan McCain on The View is horrible. So I, that's not probably like a truthfully based comment. I think she's just, ugh. Uh, but I don't <laughs> mind the show overall. That's just a fact. I get to have an opinion. Um, so no, I don't. I don't think it's that. I think I try to when I do critiques around journalism, I try to sort of talk about like this is where this is a failing. This is where it's not good. I remember when you called out Maggie Haberman on the fact that she was saying, you know, he's he's kind of skirting the truth as opposed to just saying Trump is lying. God, the New York Times tried so hard. I, I don't know her personally, so I have no idea if like if she had to write that way. It took them at least three years to be able to call a lie a lie you know, verifiably untrue. That's what they used to say. It's verifiably untrue. You're like, well, that's a fucking lie. Like, that's a lie. If your kid misses their curfew, you're not going to say, you know, and they say, no, I did come in on time. That is verifiably untrue. You're like, don't lie to me. Come on. And so it was a way of hiding behind something. And I I think I I had a real problem with elevating these press conferences around uh, COVID-19 that were full of misinformation. What's the point? The point of, of media is to elevate accurate, helpful information. You're supposed to be educating your your viewers and your listeners. Is social media today news? I use it as news. I mean, I follow most news organizations that I follow. I follow through their social media. So when the Washington Post posts something that I think is fascinating, that's probably where I'm going to read it. I, I often, you know, very rarely now do I have a hard copy of the newspaper or a magazine. Sometimes I'll go out and get it. 
Um, but and we get it delivered too, but no one's in the office anymore. So, you know, I, I mostly am following people online. So what is your company? So we started, my company is Soledad O'Brien Productions, which is SOB, which was pretty funny. Um, uh, years ago when I got married, um, I wanted, my mother-in-law wanted to get me towels. And I said, great, can I have SOB on my towels? And she's like, forget it, no towels. <laughs> I thought that was such a good idea. We basically do most of my work. I mean, I, I anchor a show uh, for Hearst. We co-produce it with Hearst. I work on this podcast and I jump in and do specials here and there. But for the most part, what I really do is I run a production company and we produce content. So we're in the middle of producing a series for HBO. We're doing something for Discovery. We're in the middle of a six-part series for BET. Uh, we're about to do a project with OWN, I think, I'm about to sign that deal. So basically, we create content, and then we sell it, and then we produce it. And now for a quick break. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell us about Black in America. When I was at CNN, they asked me to do a, a look at the 40th anniversary of uh, the assassination of Dr. King. And so the question was, in over six hours, uh, what happened in the assassination? And then where are we now? Which is a really interesting project. And I, I love doing it, but I loved, I actually thought it was a great way to 
dig into stories that we don't cover very much because I think talking about race in class is just hard. It's hard to do well. What was great about that was that there were real worries that if you covered these topics, and it's called Black in America, that you'd make all your white audience members afraid, or they would just be bored and wouldn't want to watch it. And what actually happened was we grew our Black audience humongously. And there came a point where I could not walk through an airport without people saying, I am Black in America. You should put me in your I was like, oh my God, I'm on vacation. Leave me alone. <laughs> but also we grew our white audience, um, of course, because it's all in good storytelling. That was probably the most important thing for me out of Black in America was like, wow, there's an entire audience that is interested in high quality stories that kind of explain history and and have people in present day America and really explain these issues. Fast forward to the six part series we're doing for BET and for Viacom. So it probably will end up on a lot of CBS stations, um, which is a look at structural racism. Uh, over six one-hour episodes. And I actually think it's even better than Black in America in a way, partly because I've just gotten better at, at, at figuring out these stories and, and how to tell them. But it's a really, I think it's a pretty good look at like how we got where we are in America and how do you then think about dismantling some of these systems. There was some a story you told about Jesse Jackson. And at one point, he, I think, put his hand on your arm and said, you don't count as black? Well, I mean, I think there is a discussion, right, about people who are American descendants of slaves and people who are Caribbean descendants of slaves. For me, I was always like, there's black and brown people and they work together on things. But I think that there's a number of people who actually think, and even as people talk about reparations, right, like, you know, who are those people who should be getting reparations? I think there's a fair argument to be made that it's the American descendants of slaves who should be getting, if that I don't think it'll happen anytime soon, uh, that would happen. So I, I, I sort of, as I grew up, I kind of got his point. I, no one wants to have the back of their hand touched and told, you know, but I very much, I, I think he was wrong to do it. But I, I, I understood his point, which is, you know, when some of these fights were not aligned, uh, I think that was wrong. I think he's mistaken about that. I think that's not true. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm an American. I'm, my, my roots are in Cuba and Australia, and, uh, but, but and I'm, I'm a black American. Well, one of the things that struck me about that story is that it took you years to confront him, even though you'd run into him at all these social events, kiss him on the cheek, and here you are on Twitter every day confronting people. Yeah, again, one of the nice things about being 50-something years old, right, is that I have found so much upside in being having a career and work and running something and that's not really dependent on other people liking me or not liking me, you just have to deliver the work. We like to end every interview with a lightning round. And then we have uh, our colleague Lou Burns will come in and ask a question from a male perspective, which is very cool for our story. Um, what are you reading right now? I am reading um, Cast for a second time. I read it very quickly because I had to do an interview with the author and uh, it's amazing, but I really wanted to go back and read it. If you haven't had a chance, I highly recommend it. It was actually pretty interesting. My husband is like my age, white dude, and he read Cast and he was like, oh my God, this explains everything. I'm like, I've been doing documentaries on this. Have you not been watching my documentaries? Uh, but it's, it's, it's brilliant and it's, it's just really, really great. So I highly recommend it. 
What do you read every morning? What are your go-tos? I really look at Twitter and then I, which really means I'm reading the New Yorker, the Washington Post, the New York Times, usually the cover of the New York Post, the cover of the Daily News. Uh, I like the Atlantic a lot, but often I'll save articles. They're such a long read that often you have to kind of just save things and go back to them. Uh, and then I just have people that I like to follow and see what they're talking about that particular morning. Um, Adam Serwer is one. I think he's really brilliant. Um, uh, Michael Harriet is another. He's really great. So there's just a bunch of people that I follow to see what they're saying. Are there any apps you use for productivity? No, not, not much. Nothing that like organizes me. I haven't really cracked that nut yet. I have to use paper. I have to write longhand and use paper and like have a list in front of me every day. What's the last thing you felt guilty about? <sighs> the last thing I felt guilty about is setting up the shot so that the front door would be open and that meant everybody has to really stay outside so that I could do this podcast. All right, well, this is a perfect time for Lou to join us. Hi, Soledad. Hi, Lou. There must be a story where you had to like overcome some challenge being a, a, a mixed race woman in journalism. You know, what would happen sometimes is people would just be nasty. I think that was one thing, right? You go to cover stories in New Orleans and, and people call you the N-word. <laughs> like, so how'd you deal with that? You just keep going. I mean, right? I'm just like, what, do you, what are you supposed to do? You got a job to do. And also, like, who is this person? You just met them eight minutes ago. Like, literally, it doesn't really hurt, I don't think. You know what was a little bit difficult, I think, being a working mom uh, and the, I think the ways in which you're judged as a working mom? I mean, I would, I, so there was a guy I worked with. I was asked, I was kind of asked to not go to Thailand to cover the tsunami. I had just had my twin boys and um, they called me and they're like, oh my God, you're a new mommy. I'm sure you don't want to go. And I was like, well, I got four kids under four. <laughs> Put me on a plane. And I get there and this producer says to me, I know you're a new star at CNN. I was relatively new, but if you can't hack this story, I'm going to put you on a plane home. Uh, I went for the twins. I was 38 when I had my twins. I was 38 years old and I was like, put me on a play like what am I a 12 year old it was mm -hmm. crazy I was wow. so upset I did I cried and you know my husband I'm really lucky he gives great advice and he said I think the only thing you can do is to make it work do the work do the work and I did and I, we did a great job and I got a lot of kudos and it helped my career you know so it was very upsetting but I think the answer was very clear right like you can't call somebody you can't no one cares boohoo you have to actually do the work and show people, you know, that it doesn't matter. Years later, I said to the guy, I don't know if you remember this conversation, but this is what you said to me. And he had no recollection of it. He was looking for a job. What did, what did he say to you, even though he had no recollection of it? Like, what was his? I was so, I was just so insecure at the time, blah, 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 blah. Sam, before I, I get to what I, I really took away from what Soledad said, I have to say that Soledad was the anchor of CNN's American Morning while I was in my 20s living in New York. And she like really narrated the beginning of every day. And so it was so cool to get to talk to her, particularly about that period of her life, which with, with such a different lens. I was a guest on her show during that time during on American Morning. And one of the things that, you know, it's, I tried a little bit not to act like a complete fangirl, but when I was in college, I started following Soledad's career because I had dreams of being a newscaster. And she went on this very traditional path where you had to go to a small market and make it and then work your way up. Well, she really did. And, and you know, the lesson for me actually kind of relates to that because 
Soledad seems like the type of person who just gets it done. And I think so many of us have so many things we have to get done that that attitude works. And when I think about my own life in that way, it's like, okay, how can I use, even if I don't have childcare all day right now because of the pandemic and what's going on, how can I use most effectively the few hours that I do have? There's definitely that sort of badass, I'm going to get stuff done. and But there's also this optimism that's threaded throughout her story. I mean, even when she was talking about her son's challenges with hearing loss, she kind of framed it in a very positive way. She reminds me so much of this tennis teammate I had in college. Like they had the exact same energy, you know, unstoppable. By the way, one thing I loved hearing about was her marriage because I definitely found like, you know, she married someone who's her complete equal. They went to college together. He has a huge career in his own right in finance, but they're clearly have an incredible relationship. And I do believe that it probably propelled both of them in some ways to where they are because they have this really strong marriage behind them. It sounds like he has a great sense of humor and that they have a pretty remarkable relationship. I loved hearing about Samantha's mom. That was the funniest story. (laughs) I know. (laughs) We can all relate. Melissa, thanks so much for joining us. What inspired you to open the Bark Shop? Amy and I are both dog owners and we're both a little bit obsessed. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. So the Bark Shop is a premier pet care company and we specialize in grooming. Although we also offer dog walking and dog boarding. Uh, I was inspired by a reality hair show called Chicago Licious. Uh, I never grew up with pets. I didn't know anything about dogs, but I learned about the pet care industry and decided to jump in within 90 days. It's been a really tough year for small business owners. What keeps you going through all of the hard parts? The pet care industry is a $100 billion industry. I grew up in the South Bronx, which is the poorest congressional district in the nation. Um, And upon entering the pet care industry, I realized that there was not a lot of people in leadership roles and owner roles that looked like me. So my mission is definitely to attract more people of color to prepare them to be owners within the pet care industry. Um, And I would say that's what definitely drives me. I have a vision to educate more pet groomers. Do you find that a lot of younger entrepreneurs are looking to you for advice and guidance? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually teach a lot of seminars and our industry expos. um, And I also have a lot of mentees that I work with. We work with a lot of nonprofit organizations as well uh, to help at-risk youth and young adults prepare for entering the workplace and entering the pet grooming industry. So I'm super excited to partner with organizations and continue to get people interested in pet care. What role did Project Entrepreneur play in your journey? I never knew anything about raising capital, investment. So they really got us up to speed on terminology. Uh, I think the best thing as a female founder is negotiating. Um, And I'm happy to say that we have just secured our first investor in our seed round. So I'm super excited about that. What is one tip you would give to the next female founder who like you and like me started out never having raised any money? I would definitely say, Understand that the relationship between you and an investor or the investors that you're going after and be confident in what you're also bringing to the table, because I think a lot of times we think, oh, we need them. We need these investors, but we're operating our businesses anyway. We're going to do it anyway, and they need us as much as we need them. That's such excellent advice. I work with a lot of small business owners, and it's so challenging right now, especially having like a storefront business like you do. 
how are you staying afloat? What, what tips do you have for other entrepreneurs and what are the biggest challenges you've been having? So we've been staying afloat. Uh, the pet grooming pet care industry is continuing to grow. Um, it's a recession proof industry based on its history. Uh, but I think I've been able to stay open because I was willing to adapt and shift and pivot quickly. We were able to launch our mobile grooming truck, which helped us serve more communities and build more relationships and expand our geographical footprint. I'm super excited about building community with pet owners. So I would say uh, to other entrepreneurs out there listening, be able to adapt and shift quickly and stay committed to your vision. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would so appreciate if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Laurel Moglin, our podcast associate, Emma Hard, and our male perspective, Lou Burns. You're a new dog owner, right? I know. I have a puppy. Me too. We have a, co- a pandemic puppy, I call it. She's so cute. They're so great. I'm so happy. I know. It's amazing. My kids are correct in thinking. I love this dog more than I love. <laughs> I don't lo- I'm always cold. I don't like to go in the water unless it's like 95 degrees. And yeah. when our pool was done, I, my dog wanted to go in. So I took the dog and it was 60. My daughter was like, oh my God, mom, you never ever go in the water ever. <laughs> From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.